Hey guys, welcome back to the Dad Tired Podcast. I'm really glad that you're here with us today. On today's episode, I sit down with my friend Justin to talk about why men drift into loneliness and how to fight for a life of friendship. It's an incredibly powerful, encouraging, and even convicting conversation. I know you're going to get a ton out of it. Before we jump into all that, I do want to thank my friends over at Classical Conversations for sponsoring today's episode. Looking to give your child a well-rounded education while also ensuring positive socialization opportunities and their ability to succeed in life? Consider joining a Classical Conversations community and homeschooling alongside local families. Led by a trained licensed director, families learn through Classical Conversations' proven Christ-centered curriculum together in a community. With locations in all 50 states and over 50 countries, there's bound to be a community near you. To find your community today, Visit classicalconversations.com slash dad tired. Justin, super excited to be hanging out with you today, man. Last time you've been on the podcast before a couple years ago, and you had a a book just releasing back then called Habits of the Household, which is so good, dude. Uh, I'm still recommending that book to this day. That podcast interview was helpful for a ton of people in the dad tired community, and um, the book was really, really helpful, and I recommend it all the time big fan of it. And then you just are now getting ready to release a second book or your third book, but second book that we will talk about on this podcast. It's called Made for People, Why We Drift into Loneliness and How We Fight for a Life of Friendship. When I read the subtitle to that, dude, the first thing that came to mind was the really dark season I had in my own life and how that that whole like season, I've talked about it many times in books that we've done with Dad Tired and on the on the podcast in the past, but So much of that season was really, I guess the key ingredient to all of it was just isolation and loneliness. Like I was by myself. Mm -hmm. And I think it's just, there's a ton of dudes who feel that in some shape or form. So anyway, before I ramble on too long about the subtitle, (laughs) I'd love to, I'd love to (laughs) hear. On purpose, you know? (laughs) Yeah, dude, I'd love to hear like, what, what was your heartbeat? Where did the inspiration for this book come from? Yeah. I really appreciate that, by the way, and I love how much our mission and vision has overlapped and all the dead, tired people and the support for Habits of the Household. So thank you for that. Mm. I tell people that this book has actually come out of blessing rather than crisis, and I've written two books out of crisis, The Common Rule out of my own anxiety collapse, mm. Habits of the Household out of the crisis of realizing I needed to rethink how I was being a dad. But Made for People has really come out of a sense of blessing And that is that I look back on the years that I've been following Jesus since late high school, early college, and a whole time I've had really close friends in some really hard times and difficult times, but nonetheless, close friends that have, I think, kept me close to the Lord and pushed me forward towards him when when I would have ran the other direction. And I write from that perspective of thankfulness, but I also, I think, write looking out into a world in crisis where I'm starting to realize exact, basically exactly what you said, that a lot of the problems guys particularly experience right now are not actually features of life itself. They're features of loneliness. A lot of the anxiety and depression we experience are actually the result of isolation. A lot of the spiritual maturity gaps that we get into are really because we don't have friends calling us forward. And so I look at friendship as one of the greatest spiritual gifts from the Lord and also one of the greatest spiritual catalysts that there is. And so I'm really hoping in this book both to show people, wake up to the problems of loneliness. I mean, it's killing you, 
but also step into this wonderful invitation called friendship because it's where the good life is. Man, I've never heard it. Those two things be tied together. Those two dots tied together. It's Mm -hmm. not just like, hey, you need friends. It's good. But like, this is actually part of your spiritual development and will propel you into a more mature relationship with Jesus. That's really interesting. I want to pick your brain more on that. One of the crazy things about our culture is how fiercely independent we are as a people. And we really pride ourselves on like just doing riding solo, doing things alone, like being an independent minded people and family. And it's just so like crazy detrimental. (laughs) Yes. I remember thinking like every time I've gone on any kind of mission trip or like service trip, one thing that always sticks out to me is you go to these other countries, which are more oftentimes village minded, like Mm -hmm. they're so relationally dependent. And for the first like few days, it's a jostling of your independence, you know, and then you kind of get like four or five days in and it's, it's like a drink of water that you've never had before or or a kind of drink of water you've never had. And it like satisfies in a way you're like, dude, I think this is how we were meant to live. But ding, ding, ding. (laughs) yeah, yeah, yeah. Unpack like what comes to mind when you hear that? This is the way we were meant to live. That is exactly, I think, what the Lord was working on me in as I was working through this book, which is why it ended up being titled Made for People, because it is this idea that that typical American experience of individualism is not just somewhat unhealthy, but it's actually antithetical to the gospel and the life that we are actually made for, which, in brief, says that you know God created Adam as the pinnacle of his creation. I mean, on the, you know, sixth day, like he's there and he's called very good, not just good, but very good. And God says, good, good, good over and over in Genesis. But then you get into chapter two of Genesis where God looks at Adam. And remember this is chapter two of Genesis, not chapter three, where the fall starts. Chapter two, where God looks at him and says, actually, it's not good that you're alone, which there's so many directions you can go with this. But the most important for the friendship is you can actually be with God and be in a not good state because you're alone, which means that almost sounds blasphemous, but you're meant for more than just God. You're made for people such that you can't experience God the way that you're made to experience him until you experience him alongside others. And that alone right there says enormous things about our spiritual life. There's a ton of directions to go with why, how, what else, but But I just want to say, I want to make friendship a word like quiet time, where you think of it and you think, oh, that's essential for my spiritual life. Mm. Like, I can't walk with Jesus unless I'm practicing friendship. That, I think, is the beginning and hopefully the end of the conversation. It's that spiritual. It's that important. Wow. Something you said there will prick some, like you said, you need more than just God. So people will, you'll hear that and they'll be like, oh, right. geez, straight blasphemy. You know, yeah. like, yeah, that will, that will prick. But I think what you alluded to and answering why, like, why did God create us like that? You know? Yeah. And it's, it's, I mean, a, it's actually a sign of his generosity, mm-hmm. not his lack. I mean, God is still the, the God who, you know, can make mountains melt. He's the one who created the galaxies. He, he made us. There's nothing missing in God. It's just that he actually created us with a need for, let's say, lateral relationships, such that that's why I said it the way that we can't experience him the way we're made to experience him until we experience him alongside other people. 
Mm-hmm. So it's it's not God's fault. It's actually he. It's actually kind of curiously generous that he's like, I'm going to make you not just to need me, but to need me alongside other people. It's almost a, a gift where he's like, I want you to have more. You know, I want you to have other dynamics in your relationship. So I, I think there's a generosity and, and sort of a, yeah, a, a generosity to God's making us that way. It's certainly not his lack, but it stands. We need community. This runs through the entire Bible. We need relationships. And I would say the pinnacle form of that are deep friendships, which form the foundations of families and friendships and families and communities. It's hard because like what I was describing in the um, going away and serving that scenario, I come back and it's just, we live in a fiercely independent culture where even the, the people, the guys who like, okay, I want friends like that. How do you do that in a fast-paced, hyper-independent, hyper-individualized culture where even the guys that I want to spend time with, I see them once every three weeks? <laughs> and yeah. it's not because we don't want to. Like I, we, we all have the desire, but it's like I got families right. and wives. And it's like, and I'm not expecting you to have any answer to that. But that's like it's a really big conflict for a lot of people who long for those deep relationships. Not just long for it, but need those really deep relationships. That you're describing. Well, it's an important thing to name. And so let's just leave out any solutions for the moment. I've got some ideas, but but just to name that reality, I think says at least two things. One, you are not alone in your experience of aloneness. It is the common denominator of American life. And you might not call it loneliness, even though there's actually a lot of really interesting studies and stats on how loneliness is affecting us mentally, mental health, physical, physical health. It's this feeling of being surrounded by people, but but not known by anybody. Mm. And so most people can relate to that where it's like, okay, yeah, it's not like I never see anybody or don't know anybody or don't have any friends, but I'm not actually known by them. Or I don't actually have like a rhythm of relationship where I feel understood and drawn out that you're not alone. It's very, very common. And the reason you're not alone is because that is the occurrence of American life. The current of American life is that you become usually like busier, wealthier people who used to have friends. And that's where like a lot of the people that I know find themselves. Wealthier is debatable, but like you're you're just you know fighting, like you're doing more things and you're trying to fight for upward mobility. And then you look around and you realize there was a time in my life where I had friends and that time is not here anymore. Like maybe it was high school, maybe it was college, maybe it was right after there's there's forms in our life where relationship was there was in healthy soil that could grow. But now you look around, and this is what I think is so important, the current of American life pushes us away from that. So you're not alone in feeling alone. And if you're going to do anything different, you're going to have to swim against the current. Yeah. You, you are going to have to live differently and frankly, fairly radically differently to get to a different place. But it may be the most important thing that you ever do. It, it may be exactly the thing your spiritual life has been yearning for that you're like, oh, I need to live radically differently so I can live into friendship because that is what I'm made for. Mm. I have so many thoughts on that, spinning through so many follow-up questions. You said, though, that you had some solutions in mind. That <laughs> Let's tackle some of those because some people are going to be anxious, like, all right, you know, how do you do it And when I'm swimming in this current of culture? Yeah. So the way I break it up in the book is talking about some arts and some habits. And the reason I say that is because I want to honor the idea that friendships are complicated relational 
things, you know, they're not things that you can just do. They're things you have to do with other people. And so there are some arts to being a good friend. We talk about some of those. But there are also some habits that you can put in place in your life of things that you can try to do on a recurring basis that basically, I think, create the soil for friendship. So if you want to swim upstream, you have to think of some of these arts and habits. I'll start with the arts. There's 10 chapters in the book, and each one of them talks about an art. But I think some of the key ones that I really think about, and the book starts with these for a reason, the, the arts of vulnerability, the arts of honesty, and the art of promising. And those, we could have an hour conversation about any of those, but it's the idea of being known. So do you have, are you working towards in your life relationships where you are actually honest about yourself and others? About yourself, I think I'd call that vulnerability. And about others, I'd I'd call that honesty. But it's the idea that you're saying what you mean. You're not going to do this with tons of people, right? I mean, you might know tons of people. You might have tons of people around you at church. You might have a big, small group, whatever. I think it's the kind of friendships I'm talking about are the friendships you can usually count on one hand. Some people are blessed with more. But usually count on one hand and say, this guy and this guy, they actually know me. I tell them what's really going on in my life. And I key in on this. I don't have any secrets with them. I think becoming a person without secrets is an art of friendship to say that there are a couple people who know me fully. Mm. And, you know, I might I might pause. I can talk about honesty and covenant in a minute, but I might pause there because I think vulnerability is the catalyst of true friendship because it is what happens in the gospel. Like before Jesus, we are fully known and loved anyway. And really what I'm trying to get at in these kind of friendships are people that you can know fully and stick around in love anyway. And the beginning of that is vulnerability. Dude, I think that, first of all, it's like the clearest picture of the gospel that we can give to each other, that I see yes. all of who you are, and I love you, and I'm not going anywhere. That's the gospel. Isn't that a beautiful thing to yeah. have with other people? Yeah. yeah. It's also, it feels like the cheat code of life, like abundant life. <laughs> and I say cheat code because like nobody really does it. But if you yeah. do do it, you're probably going to hack into an abundant life that you literally didn't imagine could be possible. It is an open secret. I think it's a good way to put it, a cheat code. It's like, you've heard this before. It's not a surprise, but doing it Mm -hmm. is swimming upstream. Doing it, like actually having somebody you tell your secrets with, being vulnerable to, people are like, oh, wait, (laughs) that's way different than the life I live. And people don't, like, you don't really know the level of exhaustion it is to carry secrets until you until you have relationships where you don't. <laughs> so I've got a relationship with my two, arguably my two closest friends. I'm blessed with a couple closest friends, but two of my closest friends, Steve and Matt. We have a call every week where it's just a quick touch point. It would ring an accountability call for a lot of people, but I think it's much more than that where we just say, you know, what's happened this week? And then every other Tuesday, like on the off weeks, we actually try to get together. And we miss like a ton, you know, like we we aspire to every other Tuesday. It ends up maybe every month or, you know, every couple weeks. But we spend hopefully an hour sharing a drink, sharing some conversation. And think about this hour that happens like every other week or maybe every couple weeks. You know, there's certain things like eating, sleeping, working <laughs> that I have to do so many hours every day just to stay alive and then keep producing. But one hour every couple weeks where I sit down with Steve and Matt and do this radical thing called telling the truth. Mm. 
It is so disproportionately powerful. I mean, it's only an hour, and yet by being vulnerable, being heard, and the implied message is, I'm coming back again next week, you know, yeah. I love you anyway, is an incredibly life-altering experience. And it is not rocket science complicated. It just, it does take courage, though. It does take courage of saying, I'm actually going to tell the truth to you, my friend. But I would just encourage people, literally, to try to put the courage in them. I would encourage you to say, this is what you were made for. This is what you are longing for. And also, this is what the other people around you are longing for. For somebody to finally say, can I just say what's really happening? Yeah. That's the beginning of every good relationship. Yeah. And so much good will come from that. And really, it's the way we practice the gospel by saying, I know that Jesus knows me fully and loves me anyway, but do I believe it enough to actually be fully known in this relationship. Mm. And when you do that, you're like doing dress rehearsals of the gospel over and over and over, mm. which is the idea of becoming more like Jesus. Disproportionately powerful, dude. That's the line right there. Because it just doesn't yeah. make sense that you can invest you know, an hour and the, the amount of fruit that's going to come out of that. It's insane. Mm -hmm. You mm -hmm. will walk away carrying the, the burden of Jesus, which is light, the yoke of Jesus, which is light. You will yeah. come away loving your wife better, being more free, more short, less short-tempered with your Amen. kids. Like you just, Amen. the disproportionately more powerful. It's insane. You know, I tell this little story in the book, but it was so powerful to me. My wife, this is recently, actually, just a couple months ago, rolled over in bed. We were about to just turn off the lights and asked me out of the blue, hey, are you keeping any secrets? <laughs> Which is a wild question <laughs> to be asked at like, oh, it was 11 p.m. We had yeah. just shut, shut out the lights with no context. And I later found out it was because she had just heard about a fairly close but old friend whose husband had left them and many of their mm. children, mm. all because of a secret that he had kept that just grew and grew and grew and grew and grew. Mm. And you said it a second ago, Jared, the weight of secrets the burden that you carry when you are fighting whatever that struggle is, and we all have them, <laughs> mm -hmm. when you are fighting it alone, oh, it's so heavy. And it was an amazing moment, I think, to be able to roll over and look my wife in the eye and say, no, actually, mm -hmm. for you and for our boys, I do the hard and yet freeing work of not keeping secrets. It's hard to explain like how light I feel not because I'm good. Like I've got like if everybody here knew my secrets. They're like, ew, like, we don't want to know everything, you know. But a couple friends, Steve and Matt, knowing my secrets, like I feel strong going out into the world because I feel known and loved anyway. And I think that is the power of Jesus, and it's the power of friendship, and it's why we need friendship if we're going to be more like Jesus. I mean, the Book of James: confess your sins to one another that you would be healed. Yes. Like it's just few people are finding healing. It's a like it's an open secret, as you said. It's yes. right there. I mean, if we're willing to do it, it's right there. We could experience healing. There's a lot of dudes who would love to be healed and just yep. uh, they don't have or they're not pursuing that level of friendship to get there. At Dad Tired, we have lots of resources to help equip you to be the spiritual leader of your home. But by far the most helpful thing that we offer is what's called our Family Leadership Program. Our team will come alongside of you over the next 30 days and beyond to help you really lean into what it looks like to be the spiritual leader of your home. Everything from family devotions to practicing Sabbath to what it looks like to have the gospel infiltrate your marriage, all kinds of stuff. And we're going to do it alongside of you. 
Go to dadtired.com, click the family leadership tab, and you'll be able to jump right in. You know what else comes to mind? I'm thinking about like how hard it is to like book a counselor, how busy counselors are right now. Oh my gosh. And it's because it's, there is this like innate longing for people to be able to just share everything and not feel like they're going to be judged. I can just get everything off my chest, but it's like they're filling in the gaps of what friendship was meant to be. That is worth dwelling on for a second because on the one hand, I think it's like wonderful that more and more people are like, oh, I should talk to a counselor. Like I Mm -hmm. fully support that. I was actually listening to the president of a counseling center the other day talk about their counseling, their philosophy. And I had my hand raised to ask a question and it was on friendship. And my question was going to be, if we were really doing friendship, would we need counselors like we apparently need them now? And I felt like kind of like uh, scared because I was like, I don't want this to be an insult to their profession. I think we really need it. But it was funny before this person got to me, somebody else asked a question and she, the president of this organization, just answered, look, if we had friends, real friends, we would almost be out of business and that would be okay." And I was like, oh, my gosh, like exactly. And And I think probably every counselor out there is saying like, you the best homework they could give somebody is to say go seek intimate relationship with somebody where you can tell the truth and hear the truth back and it's just it is the life we were made for which is why it would quote unquote put counselors out of business and that would be great like that's what the new heavens and the new earth looks like is that we don't rehabilitating trauma therapy because we're doing it together now we've been we've been set free and we're open together. So I do think it's incredibly important for your spiritual life. And if you want to give any gift to your wife, if you want to give any gift to your kids, give them the gift of having a father and a husband who leaves a legacy of friendship, who's known Mm -hmm. by people, not hidden from people, and thus parents and acts out as a spouse in the power of being known. It's an incredible gift to your Mm -hmm. family. Jeez. Wow. You mentioned one of the arts... You talked about vulnerability, honesty, and then you said promise, which when I was subconsciously finishing your list, I didn't have promises on that. Yeah, vulnerability and honesty, I probably could have, you know, if I were playing like it's, what's that? What's the one where Steve Harvey, it's a deal, make a deal or whatever, you know? <laughs> I, yeah, yeah, I, I get what you're <laughs> Yeah, whatever that one. I could have, I could have answered that, but I wouldn't have right. had promises on there. Like what do you unpack? What did, what did you mean when you threw out the word promises? Yeah, I, I like that you said that because... I don't think I'm being original in any sense, but I do think I'm maybe trying to offer something back that's been lost or forgotten. Hmm. And that's the commitment or the covenant or the promising that friendship involves. It's really the idea, you know, a friend is faithful. You know, the, the, the Proverbs say that we are built not just for flash in the pan moments of vulnerability, but for people who stick around across time which is the way you say that second half of the gospel, you know, like, you know, you're known fully, but loved anyway, that loved anyway part, I think is not just a blessing of I love you in this moment, though it is. It's all this. So this idea that I'll, I'll be there tomorrow for for you. Okay. And when we do this in marriage, I mean, marriage is even, you know, a greater, probably a just a more accurate, more true biblically ordained symbol of the gospel. We, we see that in Ephesians. But I I would just think of friendship as being a little bit more like marriage than you might think, as in Mm -hmm. we need a little bit of promising or I like to call it gestures of covenant, which 
Like I'm a writer. I, I like words. So that might sound like a mouthful. But what I mean by that is just signals, even if we're not like, I'm going to be your friend for life and we're going to be buried beside each other, like which can get a little weird. But signals that I'm not going anywhere. And at the lowest level, that might be the idea that uh, you plan a vacation together where you're sort of like, hey, this time next year, let's do a great trip. Or I had a friend give, I was a groomsman in his wedding. He gave the groomsman bottles of scotches with the year written on top. We were allowed to drink them together. And some of the years were two decades out. So it was this Mm. incredible signal of, hey, you and I are still going to be talking 20 years from now. Let's make sure. And there's a lot in between. Having a a weekly coffee or an annual camping trip. There's a lot of ways to do this and, and gesture covenant. But what I'm suggesting is that when we live in this current of modernity that's driving us towards busy, overscheduled loneliness, the last thing that we're going to do is schedule friendship or signal that like we expect to still have it in a year because everything else is taking us away. So I, I think you're fighting against the uncertainty of the future and making a promise and saying, hey, in this uncertain future, you and I, let's still be battling this out together. Let's still be efforting at friendship. And I think in our age, that's one of the arts we need to practice. Maybe not in all times. It's probably easier in ancient times. It's probably easier in a lot of other cultures besides America where you just sort of get, hey, this is the group I'm stuck with. You know, they're good at covenant. They just, they're stuck together. And there's a lot of common grace in that, but we need to fight for it. The book is subtitled, Why We Drift Into Loneliness and How to Fight for a Life of Friendship. And in order to fight for friendship, you need to figure out how to gesture some covenant into the future and, and make some promises, big or small. You talk about gesturing. How much of that, like with those friends, those two friends that you have, how much of that was formalized? Like where you agree, you made some kind of like agreement that, I'm, dude, I'm with yeah. you. Or like you verbally said it. Because a lot of us, like I just think of the friends in my life who we kind of know that, but we've never like said it maybe out loud. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And like, is well, there power in like saying it? Yes. Yes. I, I, okay. So that's an easy question. Yes. Actually, one of the things that I would really encourage people to is to naming. Um, to Think about Adam in the garden. One of the divine powers that God bestowed upon him as the caretaker of creation was to name the animals. And if you think about that in the context of Genesis one, God just created the world through words. And then he turns to Adam and he says, you know, basically your turn. You know, you start naming things. You create realities, albeit smaller and not ex nihilo. But we create actually through words. And so when we name a relationship, whether that's saying, hey, you're a covenant friend. And that's a term that I, I use in the book of signaling a different kind of friendship. Because friendship's a fraught word. I mean, you have Facebook friends. You have, people are not sure about what the meaning of friend is. So I offer the idea of a covenant friend to signal this sort of like deep, abiding, committed relationship. Just sort of naming that with somebody is an incredibly powerful thing to do. I have had relationships over the spectrum where with some of my closest friends that I talk about in the book, you just mentioned Matt and Steve. We've said it. I mean, we've said, you know, we've actually moved to Richmond where we live now to be around each other. We met here, but we all kind of moved back after, and it was in no small part because of each other. So we've made some gestures of covenant to say, we're going to live life alongside each other. And yes, each of us would look at each other and say, one of us is going to see the other die. Like we, we expect to be friends until the end. And that is really far. I encourage it. 
but it's really far on one end of the intentionality spectrum. Way on the other end should be smaller things, but still really important. And I've had friendships like this where it's just been a coffee where we're having a great conversation and somebody says, you know, this relationship is giving me a lot of life. We should lean into this a little bit. And it can be that simple. But both of those things are honoring the God-given power of naming and saying something on purpose to a friend and saying, this relationship is meaningful. We should X. We think about this in romantic relationships because we think about, do you want to go on another date with me? Or do you, you know, do you want to be committed? Are we going steady? Are we, let me think of all the outdated ways I can phrase it. <laughs> but we think of like, oh, we need to name the relationship because what we're headed towards is a covenant relationship called marriage. And we, we're trying to figure out like, are we getting there? Friendship is not that. I mean, you can have a lot of friends, you can lose friendships, and none of it is like marriage. And it, you just, you know, you, you shouldn't have a lot of spouses, and you ideally shouldn't lose spouses, right? Friendship is different, definitively different. And yet, there is something enduring and important about covenant where we move towards promises rather than away. And so in some small way, approximating the naming of those relationships, I think is just really, really healthy for us. As I'm hearing you describe this, it's inspiring. And I'm also thinking about how it's just going to rub all the millennial side of like (laughs) any millennial and under, you know, like, dude, I can't commit to you. Like we're going to open this bottle of whatever in 20 years. Like, bro, I don't even know if I'm going to be around in two years or two weeks to like, I don't want to commit to anything, which is, you know, that that's such our culture, right? Which is, I was thinking about when you said at the very beginning, it's just so radical because we just, we are a very anti-commitment people, which I guess gives so much power to what you're saying to live radically and to look somebody in the eye and say, dude, I'm, I'm going to stay in this town. I might, I might reconsider a job offer because I want to be near you. I want to raise our kids together. I want to do life together with you. I want you to be able to look me in the eye and call me out on hard things and push me toward things. Like that's crazy radical. I would just say, yep, exactly. (laughs) That's the point. It takes no work to drift along in the current of loneliness. If you want to, to do nothing, you're doing something very significant. You're just going to keep drifting. But I would be honest. Yeah, these things that I'm talking about are not easy. They're not normal. But nothing worth doing is easy. And most things worth doing aren't normal either. So I am absolutely 100% Jared talking about something that is countercultural, difficult, and should feel like, whoa, I'm trying hard at something. But I will also say that on the, the flip side of that is it's why Jesus used that fascinating metaphor that he did. You know, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. There is a yoke to it. There is a burden to it. These things are radical, hard things to do, but the good life is on the other side of these things. Mm. So crazy. Absolutely worth it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It really is beautiful and inspiring. And I hope a lot of people walk away from this thinking, dude, I, I never thought through friendship and that level of like covenant friendship as a spiritual discipline and there, I, th- I hope that there are a lot of people who decide that they're going to make some sacrifices to pursue that. I Just being honest, dude, like I think there's a part of my heart that feels kind of sad. I grew up with my mom and three sisters, no dad around, no brothers. I've always watched how hard it is for women to have these kind of relationships. It seems like I'm thinking of like how easy I've moved a lot of places and how easy it's been for me to kind of insert 
new friends and even deep levels of friendship wherever I go. But I watch my wife and other women and it seems, I don't know, I'm probably overgeneralizing it, but it, it sometimes it seems like it's harder for women to find these kind of levels of friendship. And maybe that's just my own perspective and we're a podcast for dudes, so maybe you know it doesn't matter for this conversation. But I'm curious. <laughs> I'm curious, like if you, yeah. what you think about that? You know, I think the stereotypes cut both ways. I lots of times hear people say, "Oh, you know, this is easier for women. Guys have a hard time actually talking and being honest with each other." And I'd, I'd say, sort of, yes. But I actually see a lot of guys in my life looking for these kind of conversations, and so I, I just don't know if the stereotype holds everywhere. But sometimes, and if so. Yeah, like I want to push guys towards vulnerability and honesty. And I see the other side of the stereotype of like, yeah, but guys just like we get into relationships and we're maybe more chill about them or we can overlook certain things and girls are maybe more sensitive and it gets harder for them. And I think I haven't seen a lot of that in my relationships, but sometimes, yeah. And if that's the case, uh, one of the chapters in the the book is about the art of forgiveness, because whether you're a guy or a girl, relationships get fraught, like sticking around with anybody for more than an hour is hard, right? You think about like, you got a lot of friends you love coffee for an hour with, but you do you want to be alone in a cabin with them? Or okay, you love a cabin weekend together, but do you want to like travel with them a week? Yeah. Extend any relationship out across time, which incidentally is exactly what I'm suggesting. And you're going to have a lot of problems, a yeah. lot of problems. Yeah, yeah. But that's not the surprise. The big question mark is, well, will we forgive each other? Can we figure out how to stay friends? And I think whether you're a guy or whether you're a girl, you're going to need to learn to practice the art of forgiveness, which, again, Mm. is, as with all of this, is looking to Jesus as the master of friendship Mm. and saying, can I be more like him and saying that it's no surprise that me and my other friend, both of whom are sinners, (laughs) have a lot of problems. Mm. It's no surprise that we hurt each other. It's no surprise that we offend each other. But could we surprisingly practice the grace of forgiving each other? It's actually one of my favorite chapters in the book because it is so saturated with our need for forgiveness from Jesus Mm. and the hard work it is to extend it to other people. So I just say, you know, guy or girl, it's hard. And guy or girl, you're going to need forgiveness, but it's worth pursuing. And forgiveness is always worth practicing. I've never regretted an apology. I've often regretted not giving them, but I've never regretted giving them. Mm. Well, dude, I've read the book and I got, a, I was a, able to get an early copy of it and had the honor of giving an endorsement to it. But even in our conversation makes me want, I'm super excited about the audio book version of this. Hopefully you're reading. Do you get to read your audio book? I, I, yeah, I'm insisting on reading because I, yes, for many reasons, I'll be reading it to you. <laughs> You out there listening, if you want me to read you the book, I'd be happy to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> People probably don't know this, but like like I have to audition to you read have to audition my own. To read yeah. your own book. Yeah, People probably funny. don't know that, but you have to like as an author, you have to audition, which yeah. I guess makes sense. You might have an author who's great at writing and terribly t- does a terrible job at, you know, the audio version. But uh anyway, I'm very excited for your audio book to just put that yeah. on and listen to that. But dude, I just love the work you're doing, man. Uh, I know you and I have talked offline about partnering together in some way. We don't know what that would look like, but I just, our hearts are so aligned. And uh, this particular conversation is going to be really, really helpful, challenging, encouraging to our community. So thank you for taking the time to, to hang out and share some of your wisdom with us. I hope so, man. And thank you for taking the time. Every time we talk, I feel like, man, 
something's going on here. So let's see what the Lord does with it. But thanks for this conversation. It's been wonderful. Yeah, thanks, bro. Hey guys, hope you enjoyed today's episode. As a reminder, we have our Dad Tired annual retreat coming up in September. We're already halfway full on that. So if you want to secure a spot, go to dadtired.com, click the annual retreat tab and get signed up today. I love you guys. We'll see you next week. Thank you.